My name is Norm Fleming. I'm one of the elders, lay elders in this uh, church. And um, we are going to stand, as is our custom, and to honor the Word of God. I'm going to read verses, or we're in John chapter 43, continuing, or excuse me, John chapter 4, (laughs) starting in verse 43. I'm going to read to 46, and then you will join me, okay? Now after the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, if you'll join me. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Father God, thank you for your living and active word. My simple prayer for this service, Jesus, is that your word not return void, which you promised it never will. But, Father, may it accomplish your purpose. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to believe, and courage to obey. Bless my brother, Pastor Phil, as he delivers your word. Oh, Jesus, be glorified in your great name, we pray. Amen. Amen, and thank you, Brother Norm. We had a glorious time of worship together, at least in the musical worship and the singing together, and uh, I just love that we sing hallelujah. Can I get a hallelujah out of anybody this morning? Hallelujah. (laughs) I'm telling you, that was just... Glorious, glorious time of worship this morning in song, and uh, I invite you to just join me now and let's uh, continue to worship as we break the bread of life and see what God has to say to us this morning. He read the passage that we're going to look at, and we're going to get right into it. Um, So far, we've met John the Baptist, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, and Nathaniel. They were all already followers of Jesus by the time we met Nicodemus. And last time, the Samaritan woman who had a terrible reputation. Now, today, we meet a nobleman. Uh, He might have been, and it seems from the suggestion of his title, that he was some sort of royal official. 
and he came to Jesus for help. Related to this royal official, we encounter this second sign, and it's very important, that word sign that Jesus performed. The first sign he had performed in this same place, Cana of Galilee, a little small town north of Nazareth. There are seven of these particular sign miracles that Jesus performed, or at least the gospel of John recorded. Somebody might ask, did Jesus do more than seven miracles? He did many, many more indeed than seven miracles. In fact, uh, while he was in Jerusalem after he cleansed the temple, which we read about, he performed many miracles that are not recorded. That's John 2, 23 and 32. So pastor, why did he record these seven? Well, we opened the book studying it, talking about it. It was John chapter 20 and verse 30. He did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But verse 31 says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This sign that we're looking at today with this nobleman and his son, who was not even in the location where the nobleman came, this sign is a faith building sign. Signs point to something, just like road signs give an indication of what's happening. They point to something. The point isn't the sign. It's not to sit down and look and study the sign, but rather to find out what the sign points to. Signs signify. They don't point to themselves. They point out something about Jesus. In this case, and in all cases in the book of John, they point to the fact that Jesus is divine. He has authority and he has power. The signs do something else. They also are given for evangelistic purposes. It says so clearly that we may believe. How many of you here this morning are already convinced and you're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Amen. Praise God. I pray that if there's one here that's not convinced yet, I pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God will encourage your heart to come to faith in Jesus. You know, illustrations help us understand and God uses illustrations. In fact, I think this is one of them. Uh, in the passage. The first thing I'd like you to see about the passage this morning is this nobleman, and I'm going to continue to call him the nobleman because that's what it says in the passage, but you might think, you know, the court recorder, or you might think, uh, you might think the city official or any of those things, but I'm just going to use the Bible word. The nobleman experienced something. He experienced great sorrow. Is there anybody that doesn't experience sorrow at some point in life? Um, maybe a loss of a loved one, of course, loss of marriage, loss of a career, loss of some relationship can cause sorrow. Maybe sickness, betrayal by a friend or a family member might be the cause. And then it might be something like this. It might be the total loss of ability to provide, to provide for yourself and for your family. But great sorrow. Anybody here ever had an experience with sorrow? Just raise your hand. Well, a couple of things about it. Sorrow is universal. It's experienced by everybody and everyone everywhere. There's no exemption from the school of sorrow. No exemption. Nobody gets a pass on the school of sorrow. Verse 46 says this unnamed nobleman came to Jesus and he came begging. I said he was some sort of official in the king's court. He was a man who had position and authority. No doubt he had considerable wealth. He could not, even with his wealth and his authority and his position, he, there's certain things he just couldn't fix. Now, I want to stop for a moment and say, already in this book of John, we have seen the people that Jesus associates with and the people that he reaches out to with the gospel. Um, I think it is really interesting that uh, it's uh, to understand just how wonderful 
God works and how Jesus works because he gets trophies of grace from every strata of society. Uh, and not just one, not just the high and mighty, not just the low and lowly, not just the people in between. We've already seen this. He called fishermen and he called religious rulers. He called a woman from the red light district. He called now a nobleman to follow him. And I just want to say, you're not too poor to be saved. You're not too rich to be touched by God's grace. You're not too wicked and your pride is not so great. God can save anyone who believes. Amen. He can save anyone if they will believe. And here's what we need to grasp. Sorrow is no respecter of persons. Sorrow can visit you in a marble mansion or sorrow can visit you in a mud hut. Uh, Sorrow can visit anybody. And sorrow is universal. There are none who are immune from the sorrows of life. There is no vaccination for the sorrows of life. And that goes for Christians too. Sometimes that surprises Christians. Well, I thought when I got saved, it was going to be a rose garden. The Bible never says that, never predicts that or preaches that. There is no such thing. It goes for Christians, Job, David, Jeremiah, Jesus, Paul. And let me just add this too. Being a Christian does not make you immune from the sorrows of life. And sorrow is something else. It's not just universal. It's personal. Sorrow is personal. We can wax eloquent, and a lot of politicians like to talk about solving all the problems of the suffering around the world, but when sorrow hits our own home, it gets real. The official son was sick and dying. If you want to really get close to a man, then you let something happen to his children. Men, especially, we like to think we can handle it, we can fix it. I just want you to know there's some things you can't fix. How many of you men are fixers? You hear your wife saying this, that, or the other. You can't let her finish saying it until you're trying to fix it. How many of you men are like that? We're guilty. We're just, you know, sometimes they just want to tell us what's happening and shut up and listen to them tell us what's happening without any solution. That's the best thing to do, men. At least listen before you try to fix it. So it's a good idea. So we're fixers. Well, this man wasn't going to be able to fix it. Uh, he, there was nothing he could do. His position couldn't heal him. His money couldn't heal him. His influence couldn't heal him. There are some lessons that can be learned by the way, in the times of affliction and trouble and sorrow that cannot be learned any other way. Would you like me to repeat that? Make sure it sinks in. There are lessons in growth. There are blessings and lessons and growth that happens during times of affliction and sorrow that cannot be learned or experienced under any other circumstance. The Bible talks about it in Psalm 119.71, David, who had been through many things, says it was good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? That I might learn. And he goes on to say, learn your statutes, your principles. Times of trouble have a way of getting our attention. So God can teach us something. You know, God, he's always in the lecture room in a sense. He's, he's always trying to help us. And you know that all of God's rules and all of God's lessons are intended for our good. Did you know that? Even Joseph tells us that so clearly when he told his brothers, you, you did this to hurt me, but God used it for good because many people have been saved because of what you did to me. Times of trouble can get our attention. The truth is, is that we usually don't hold still to learn until we hurt. We don't like to hold still to learn until we hurt. Listen, if you're a new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, would you do yourself a great favor? When we suggest that you sit still and meet with somebody and grow in grace and learn the basics of Christianity, don't tell us you're too busy. 
Because we're going to take time and you need to take time and you need to learn what this salvation is all about. Oh, disciple making. It's so incredibly important. And so this is just a fantastic, fantastic story. Uh, Jesus had finished up all of his work there in Sychar, and he returned to Cana, a few miles north of Nazareth, 25 miles from Capernaum to Cana it was. Based on what this nobleman knew about Jesus' former sign and, and the water that was turned to wine, he hoped that Jesus could heal as well. And so this second point is this that I'd like to give you. And this nobleman, he had great sorrow, but this nobleman, he met a great Savior. Amen. Amen. He did. What do your sorrows do for you today? Where do your sorrows drive you? This man was driven to Jesus in his sorrow. The man came and laid his sorrow at the feet of Jesus. And here is the beginning of faith. Here is the spark of faith. This is beautiful. Was he saved when he came to Jesus and told him, asked him to save us? No, no, no. He wasn't saved at that point, but he was exercising the, he was exercising those first sparks of faith. He, he wanted to come to Jesus and he wanted to ask him to help. You know, if you act on what you know about Jesus, Jesus will nurture that faith. He will fan that little spark of faith into full faith and it'll be a flame in your heart and in your life, but you got to make that first step to come to Jesus by faith. So important. Matthew 12, 20 says a bruised reed. He will not break. A smoking flax, he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. Isn't that beautiful? That small smoking flax, that spark of faith. He's not going to put your faith out. He's going to do everything he can to try to increase your faith. Praise God. Faith makes direct request, folks. And I want you to please tune in. Verse number 47, look at it in verse 47. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he implored him, come down and heal it, to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He didn't ask about all the children of the world. He didn't ask about all the problems of the world. He, he prayed a specific prayer, a direct prayer. He came to Jesus and he said, here's the situation. My son is sick unto death. Please come down and heal him. There's no, there's no ambiguity about the request that he made. He was very specific in his prayer. He implored him. You can plug in any words you want. Beg, pleaded, implored, cried out to you know, desperate situations call for desperate prayers. Amen. He begged him, he implored him, and it's a tense of the word that meant he wouldn't stop begging because his son was soon to die. Now, we don't know many times if God is answering our prayers because we don't ask specifically enough to even know if the prayer was answered. Did you know that? Do you know sometimes we pray so generally, Lord, bless all the people in the world. How are we going to figure that out? We know he has, but how are we going to figure that out? Lord, please help me. Okay, help you with what? Lord, please heal so-and-so. Well, what's he got? What's going on with him? What are you asking him? Pray specifically. He said, well, I don't know, man. I don't want to get too specific. I don't want to be disappointed. You don't want to find out how strong God is. You don't want to reveal how weak your faith is. How many of you believe God is almighty? How many of you believe God can do anything he wants to? He can. How many of you believe that God cares and he loves us? Did he prove it? God proved his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, he loves you folks. He loves you. And so let's pray specifically. He came to Jesus because his son couldn't. (laughs) 
His son was so sick, he couldn't come to Jesus. He went to Jesus on his behalf. I just want to say to all you parents, here's the one thing you can do for your children that nobody can stop. Even if your kids don't want to come to Jesus, you can pray for Jesus to come to them. Are your kids, teens, or adult children lost and wandering? Come to Jesus for them, begging. Are they far from God? Draw near to God, begging. Is that daughter of yours ashamed of your faith, your rules, or your dedication to God, even though she won't come to Jesus? Go to Jesus for her desperately, specifically. Don't quit. Protect your kids, provide for your kids, be present in their lives, pray for your kids, make direct and specific requests in prayer. You know what else? Faith avoids doubtful requests. Faith avoids doubtful requests. Again, in verse number 47, I read, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to it and implored him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, here's a point of doubt. You say, I don't see doubt there. He came in faith believing. Well, here's what he said. He said, come down. And heal my son. What's the problem with it? Well, he believed Jesus had to physically go and be present, perhaps lay his hand on his son for his son to be able to be healed. Well, if that's the case, we might as well quit praying because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, isn't he? He doubted that Jesus could heal from a distance. You know, this must have been contagious. Mary and Martha, a little bit later, are going to do the same thing. They're going to say, Lord, if you had just been here, our brother would not have died. Jairus, the temple ruler, we're going to read about him. He said to the Lord, Lord, please come down to my house and heal my girl. But then there was this Roman soldier, a centurion. I mean, he didn't even have any, he he didn't have any anchor, right, or permission. He just believed God. And he said this, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Speak the word only and he will be well. Speaking of his servant. Lord, you don't even need to come. I know what kind of man you, you have authority. I understand that. You just say the word. Boy, that's faith. Amen. And he believed. I just want you to know Jesus has no limitations. He's never far away. He is in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father, but his spirit is as close as your next breath. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Listen to the Bible. Verse 8, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Believe him. Jesus maintains the universe, but he's listening to your prayer. He defends us at the Father's right hand, but he's listening to your prayer. He's not too busy. This is what he is busy doing. I've had three people tell me this week, Pastor Phil, I'd really like to talk to you. I know you're busy. You got so much to do, this, that, and the other. I just really would like, I would just really like to talk to you. And I said, well, yeah, I am busy. Let me tell you what I'm busy doing. I'm busy doing this, talking to you and talking to others and sharing Christ. Do you know God's not too busy for you? I mean, he's maintaining everything, but you know what he is? He is as close as your next thought, your next breath. You reach out to him and he is, he is omnipresent, omnipotent. He's all powerful. He is everything and he is present. I am with you always, even until the ends of the age. What God, what is God busy doing? He's busy saving sinners and tending sheep. That's what he's doing. Don't limit God by your own perception of how he has to do things. Well, God, if you'll just come down, you can do it. No, no. Faith doesn't demand to see to believe. Faith doesn't demand. Oh. Oh, we've got a phrase for that. Seeing is 
Well, see, the Bible says just the opposite. This is a crucial point and a perfect opportunity for Jesus to clarify what believing in him really is. He's training his disciples for their work. He is evangelizing the lost. He is also confronting the Jews' lack of faith. Time and time again, Jesus confronted the Jews' lack of faith and their demands for a spectacular proof from Jesus. Look at your passage to verse number 48. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. He said, you people have got to see something spectacular. And if you read through the gospels, how many times did the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the regular Jews and the people at Galilee, I mean, they chased Jesus around and they just kept saying, we want to see this and do that and show us a miracle and show us a sign. Oh my goodness. Jesus confronted their lack of faith and their demands for spectacular proof. In chapter 6, when he had just fed 5,000 with a sack lunch, he had just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. They said, what sign will you perform for us that we may believe? That is not the faith God is looking for. Seeing is believing, people say. No, listen to this. Seeing is seeing, not believing. Seeing is seeing, and believing is being sure even when you can't see it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. How many of you ever bow your head in prayer and talk to God? That is the evidence of faith. You say, why is that the evidence of faith? Because there you are in your flesh, bowing your head, directing your heart, your mind, and your thoughts to someone that you cannot see. And you're asking him to do this, that, or the other. If that's not a confession of faith, I don't know what is. So what is prayerlessness? Not asking, not praying. It's an evidence of lack of, wow. Seeing is not believing. Seeing is seeing. Believing is being sure even when you can't see. Faith believes God's word to see God's work. Look at verse number 49. The nobleman said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And he's screaming it. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Boy, you just got to see the dynamic of this whole thing. His heart is breaking. His son is dying and he's pleading with the Lord. He had enough faith to come and ask. Now then Jesus says to him, okay, go your way. Your son lives. And he believed the word that was spoken to him. Ah, he believed the word. (laughs) So important. This uh, faith comes first and believing comes first. The nobleman has a one-track mind. His son is dying. He's pleading. He's begging. He's imploring Jesus. He can't think of anything else. Now pay attention. Jesus said, head home now. Your son lives. He had the spark of faith that drove him to Jesus. Now he has growing faith and he's believing because what did he do? He didn't say, no, 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 no. Come down, Jesus. Come. No, no. He didn't say. He stopped right there. He just said, he heard him say, go home. Your son lives. And the next part says, and he believed him and headed for home. Wow. His reaction to Jesus' words revealed his full faith. He believed his word and he went home. He believed and went to check it out. He went to see. Faith first. Trust him first. Only trust him. We used to sing it. Come every soul. 
by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. He will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. Listen to these words. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Only trust him. This is what the man did. He heard him say, go home. Your son lives. And he went his way. You know what faith does? Faith hears what God says and then takes action. Faith hears what God says and obeys. Faith hears what God says and takes the first step. Faith obeys what the Lord says. And this is what he said to him. Go home. Your son lives. In his mind, it was a done deal. I just want to tell you. He can save drunkards on the spot. He can save addicts on the spot. He can save the self-righteous religious person on the spot. He can save the sexual addict right on the spot. He can save the rich, the poor, the young, the old, the famous, the infamous in a bleak. He can save. He can rescue. He can change. He can set free anybody that will only trust him. We got to get the message out. In your personal life. Among your friends and your family, you gotta, you gotta implore them that they implore Jesus to save them because he will. Finally, the nobleman experienced great success. <laughs> this is beautiful. 51 to 54, this is the greatest definition and example of faith you will ever encounter. Go home, your son lives. He believed and headed home. And faith believes, folks, what God has said and it acts on it. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I believe that. And so I'm here, Lord. Save me a sinner. And this is what the nobleman did. I hear what you said. You said go home believing. And I'm believing that you've healed my son and I'm headed home. You know, Jesus rewarded his faith. Verse 51, the servants met him on the road and told him, he's alive. And this repeated is re- Repeated so often in the gospels, just act in faith. There were two blind men who received their sight according to their faith, Matthew 9, 27. To the Roman garrison leader, the centurion mentioned earlier, he said, go your way as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed the same hour, Matthew 8, 13. In the beginning of our study of John, we stopped at verse chapter 1, verse 12, and it said, but as many as received them, received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Listen to these words, to, to everyone who believes in his name. Faith is a deposit we make in God's promises. He rewards us with answers to our prayers and helps for our life. What else did he do? He didn't just do that. He also removed all doubt. Verse number 52 of the passage says, and he inquired of them the hour when he got better. What time was it? Well, it was the same hour that Jesus told him that he was healed and that he had turned for home. Coincidence, some say. Skeptics abound. Man was in a flood. A man was in a flood and he climbed on the roof of his house and he cried out to God to save him. A man came by in a boat and said, get in. And he said, no, God will save me. Another came by in a canoe, but he said, no, God's going to save me. Finally, a helicopter rescue came through, but he would not reach out for the ladder. He died. When he got to heaven, he asked God why he failed him in his hour of need. God said, I sent you a boat, a canoe, and a helicopter, but you would not get in. 
Folks, God sent an ark in Noah's day and the people would not believe the word of God and they didn't take the rescue from God. Well, there's another ark. The great ark of safety is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the world. We talked about it last week and people have to get in. They have to believe, they have to trust. We have to trust him. Jesus reached his soul. How did he do it? Well, he cured his son's illness. What a miracle, what a joy. He went to Jesus begging and Jesus rewarded his faith. He cured his son's illness. What else? He comforted the man's heart. It was 25 miles back to Capernaum and he didn't arrive till the next day. He may have walked or ridden a cart, but he believed and his son was healed. You don't get the idea that he's frantic now. He's already believing. So the next day he was not surprised at the news of his servants that his faith his faith had been answered and his child had been healed, but his faith had been built great. You want to build your faith? Pray specifically. He had rushed to Jesus when he is dying. Now he's resting in Jesus as he's headed home. And then there's something beautiful here in verse number 53. He converted the man's family. Look at that, verse 53. So the father knew it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household, his family believed as well. He told them about Jesus, about his encounter with them, about Jesus' promise to him, and about his own faith. Men, you have no idea the power and influence of your own conversion. You are the most influential person in your home. What you do with Jesus will more than likely determine what your whole family does with Jesus. Faith is contagious. Folks, Jesus recognizes our faith no matter how small. Jesus increases our faith as we believe in him and we obey. Jesus rewards our faith with answered prayer and increased influence. God just uses our faith and he does great things with it. No faith, little action from heaven. Great faith, great action from heaven. But today, do you know about Jesus, but you've stopped short of trusting him with your life, your past, your present, and your future. Today is the day to trust in Jesus. He gives an immediate cure to the sin problem. Are you here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior? Are you lacking that confidence that if you die today that you would show up in heaven in the next breath? Do you not know him? Well, I'm just here to tell you, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but he's as close as your next breath. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Are there some Christians here today that say, Pastor Phil, I needed that. I need to get specific in prayer. Would you raise your hand up? I want to challenge you, dear brothers and sisters, do be specific in prayer. Speak to the Father specifically about your needs in the name of Jesus and expect the Lord to answer. Don't put conditions on it. Don't put timing on it. Trust God. Trust him. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to just, all heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You've never, been, you've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior. I want you to just think with me for a moment. If you're waiting on Jesus to send lightning bolts from heaven and to send angels to the end of your bed, and you're waiting on that to happen, he's not going to do that because God sent his son, and his son came and died for your sins, and now he sent his word of this message. And God's not trying to build your faith built on some spectacular thing. He's trying to build your faith built on what he has done and what he has said. If you want to believe on Jesus today, you can do it.
call out to him like this, God, I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you, but I do not want to remain separated from you. I want to believe. I want to be born into your family. I want forgiveness of my sins and eternal life that you have offered by dying for my sins. Today, I believe. I trust my past, my today, and all of my future into your hands. Save me, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.